Welcome to the Apologia Podcast, the audio-only archive of the Apologia YouTube channel. Note that some content was designed to go with visuals, but the imagination can be a powerful thing. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider giving it a 5-star rating on the podcast app you're using now to help us reach more people. Or, since this endeavor is ad-free, consider going a step further and supporting us for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash apologia. But for now, let's get to the episode, part of the Creation Today Claim series, posted December 16th, 2016, titled, We Don't Need Evidence, says Eric Hovind. For years then, we haven't even copyrighted our material. We allow people to copy it, to give it away. That's what we want. Who needs facts when you're super sure you're right? Not Eric Hovind. Evidence is for suckers. Hello everyone, it's Paul, and welcome to Apologia, where a former Christian takes a look at the claims of Christians. I said before we're going to start off with Eric Hoven's Creation Today TV show, but before we jump into any specific episode scientific claims, I wanted to take a general look at the history of the show and one of its more foundational philosophies. Since this philosophy permeates all five seasons, I've pulled clips from different episodes. I believe I've edited them in a way that fairly represents the show's position. We're stupid, we're unqualified, we don't know what we're talking about. Okay for the most part, but I'll provide links to the full episodes in the description so you can evaluate and let me know if you disagree. We really want uh, people to understand the battleground itself has shifted. We're not arguing over the same things that we argued over 30 years ago. My dad began ministry back in 1989. So what's Eric talking about here? Well, let's go back in time those 30 plus years to when Eric's dad, one Kent Hovind, left his post as a private Christian high school science teacher to begin a ministry called Creation Science Evangelism. It included an adventure park for kids and most notably a creation lecture series that attempted to prove that the Bible is literally true and scientifically accurate. There is no evidence for it whatsoever. People believe in it, I understand, but that doesn't make it science, no. Now Kent's lectures very much machine-gunned a rapid-fire list of scientific-sounding claims and assertions, the sheer weight of which must have sounded convincing to those in the audience. But this was before the web was invented. With the advent of Google, YouTube, and a pause button, Kent's claims could now be examined one by one for reliability and merit. If you haven't already, you really must watch the Hello, I'm Kent Hovind series by Logic. It changed my life. Look, is this a list of 100 stupid things about evolution, or is this a list of 100 stupid things about that idiot's understanding of it? Years went by and Kent's creation science evangelism attempted to move into the internet age, and also bringing his eldest son, Eric, into the fold. Skeptics come and ask dumb questions sometimes, and my analysis is they don't want an answer. No, they definitely don't. Unfortunately, Kent's penchant for half-truths and denials extended past creation seminars and into his financial life. So the federal government invited him to take a mandatory nine-year timeout from society. With that away, Eric stepped in and took over his father's routine. He gave it a fresh coat of paint, but it was basically the same attempt to convince audiences of young Earth creation. There Which one are you talking about? There are six meanings to the word. We've got are you talking about cosmic evolution, the origin that of time, would be space, the origin matter? Of time, I don't believe in that. With a big bang. The trouble was, as the claims of the father were shown to be evidently untrue, that left fewer assertions for Eric to repeat. After some behind-the-scenes turmoil and going quiet for a while, Eric emerged with an all-new ministry with a seemingly different focus, including our focus, the Creation Today Show. 
the battlefield has changed. I mean, the weapons are the same, so to speak, but the battlefield has changed. The mission field is becoming the church. The church is the mission field these days, and that's what concerns me more than anything. It really is a privilege to come to you and, and be able to present you with the information you need to defend your faith in God. Oh, okay. So the new show isn't for me. You're going to talk exclusively to those who already agree with you. You're going to abandon any pretense of trying to convince someone like me who doesn't believe in a God because I haven't seen convincing evidence. The main issue when we were starting out was the scientific arguments. Nowadays, it is not. It's to do with what is the basis and the foundation for your belief. Hey, what's going on with creation today? Have you guys shifted your focus? And it gets back to a fundamental uh, concept known as uh, the difference between evidentialism and presuppositionalism. The difference between evidentialism and presuppositionalism. Evidentialism. Is that even a word? Oh, the Internet Encyclopedia of Philosophy says that it is. What does it say here? Person S is justified in believing proposition P at time P if and only if S's evidence for P at T supports believing P. Well, that seems pretty good. I'm justified in believing a proposition if the current evidence supports the proposition. Since I prefer to believe things that are evidentially true, and therefore conform to reality, this must be the right philosophy that Eric's talking about. I used to get this wrong, because I used to present evidence. Wait, what? Presenting evidence was wrong? You know, I know for several years I was very frustrated with the uh, evidential uh, conversion because I wasn't, people were not converting to Christianity and I'm throwing them all this evidence. Okay, if they say, I don't believe the Bible is true, then let's set the Bible aside and let's argue just the evidence. It doesn't yes. work, friend. I've got years yes. of telling you, of experience telling you that argument, that method just simply does not work. Me too. That does sound frustrating. Years? Do you think it's because the evidence wasn't particularly convincing? I know for years I tried to get the final argument that can really grab somebody, the silver bullet that's going to make them to believe in God. There really isn't one. As Christians, we need to understand that it is impossible to prove God to others. Impossible? Wow. Well, I guess the only reasonable thing to do is not believe the proposition of God until we have some proof. Thanks for watching, everyone. I And that's why the Bible says to ignore all this evidence. It says what? We've talked a lot on this show about evidence and why we're not trying to convince people by the evidence. Um, okay, so you're against using evidence to form your conclusions. This is kind of blowing my mind right now. But I'll hear you out. What are you for again? Presuppositional what? Presuppositional apologetics. Presupposition just means what you believe before you look at the information. Before I even look at this, what do I already believe before I see the evidence? You're right. It comes down to a presupposition. What do we believe ahead of time yes. before we even approach the evidence? Yes. Remember, we don't prove things from the evidences. So we're interpreting the evidence starting from our presupposition that the Bible is true. Yeah, okay. That definitely sounds like the opposite of using evidence to draw a conclusion. You have a conclusion, you're going to pick and choose and interpret only what fits that conclusion. That doesn't sound like a good method to determine truth. What do you say, Creation Today Show guest Jay Warner Wallace, author of Cold Case Christianity and featured in God's Not Dead 2? If you're trying to investigate whether or not, you know, who, who committed this murder, we don't walk in the room with, the, with certainty about who committed the murder, because mm. if you do, you're liable to not find the right guy or never find the right guy. 
uh, you know, you'll probably get the wrong guy because you already entered with the solution. The, the answer is already in your mind before you start asking any questions. You can't do that in any investigation. That's very true. Good. So we can all agree that starting with the conclusion can lead to the wrong answer. All the evidence must fit with what I already believe. No, no, no. I thought we just agreed. They don't want to look at the right evidence. They, they, like she said, they'll make it fit whatever landscape they're laying out. That's the problem. Right? That would definitely be a problem. From our worldview, from yes. the biblical worldview, can we interpret the evidence that we find and it fit with this? Yes, we can. But you just said trying to make evidence fit a worldview was bad. We see the evidence and we interpret that evidence through our worldview of uh, believing that God exists and that the Bible is true. If one is going to just abandon making decisions based on evidence, on what basis should we decide? And the second point that we need to emphasize is that there is an issue of authority because if you're going to try yes. and find an independent proof for God, by, by definition, the independent proof then has a higher authority than God. The Bible claims to be the final authority. You can't have something else as an authority in order to prove the Bible. Well, that doesn't make any sense at all. Evidence itself doesn't have any authority. Evidence is observation of reality. I mean, blood doesn't have authority, and a shirt doesn't have authority, but blood on a shirt can be evidence. Reality and truth don't contradict each other. Truth and reality necessarily account for the blood on the shirt, and the blood on the shirt necessarily tells us something about truth and reality. There's no authoritarian hierarchy here. Now, claims are certainly subservient to evidence. Is that what you object to? We're not using evidence as something neutral and external to the Bible to try and prove the Bible, are we? That's not at all. Are we going to take God at his word, or are we going to put man and his own ability to think and reason on top of what God says? We've really got to go with what God says. That's not logical at all. Is it Creation Today Show guest? Love this that. is our, our really strong bias to respect authority and, and um, cultural forces that seem authoritative even when they may not be saying things that are logical at all. Wow. Okay? Gotcha. To take anything merely on authority would be a fallacy. Are we giving something more authority than God's word, or is God's word our ultimate authority? That's correct. And that's what we got to come down to. Yes. But Eric, so authority is the most important? Please don't uh, yeah. think that these things are true just because somebody in authority says them. But remember that uh, not everybody in authority is going to tell you what's true. Authorities can be wrong. Why would I even ask this question? God said it. That settles it. Oh, well, that settles it. What's left to say, I guess? I mean, is there really even a need for this Creation Today show if it's all just a done deal? We're goners. We're goners. Yeah. Pack it up. I guess I do still have one question while we're still here. How do we know that the Bible represents what God said? So the question that we get all the time, and I want to throw it at you, is how do we know that God's word is true? Yeah, that's basically my question. We don't use evidence in order to prove the Bible. I should have expected that. Providing evidence is bad. Why can we trust God's word apart from the fact that this is God's word? You're the one claiming the Bible is reliable. I was hoping you could tell me. It comes down to you can't use the Bible to prove the Bible. Yes. You're right. That would be circular. The Bible uses circular reasoning to prove itself. They claim that you can ask a creationist, the Bible is the word of God, how do you know? Which then leads to, how do you know so? Which then leads to, because the Bible tells me so. Right. Why do you believe the Bible? Because it's infallible. Right. How do you know it's infallible? Because the word of God is true. Which finally leads us to, how do you know it's true? Well, because God says so. I thought circular arguments were bad. Here's what's interesting. 
it really does come down to a circular argument. But it's okay because any ultimate authority will be circular. For example, uh, you, you know, we use the Bible to prove the Bible. Another example would be if I told my children something to do and I said, son, I want you to clean your room. And he said, why? I said, well, because I, I want you to clean your room. Yeah, but why? Well, because it's messy. I need it. But why, daddy? Ultimately, it's going to come down to because I said so. <laughs> I'm your ultimate authority. But that's a circular argument, dad. I know that. It's allowed to be. I'm your authority. And really, that's exactly what God's word is. It is our authority. Here's the thing about that example, Eric, and about authority in general. An authority, by definition, has power over someone behaves or lives. This authority is granted by strength of force or regulation or some coercion method. The worst, least informed parent in the country still has authority over their child. An authority can be malevolent or benevolent. An authority can be factually correct or incorrect. Is Kim Jong-un the greatest basketball player in North Korea? Did he discover a cure for AIDS and cancer? Did he get 12 holes in one in a single round of golf? According to your arguments, yes, yes, he did. How do we know? Because Kim Jong-un is the country's ultimate authority, and Kim Jong-un says so, and he also says that he never lies, so that's that. Remember, outside evidence is not allowed to refute these claims according to your rules, because authority somehow trumps evidence. Rather than looking at the world with appeal to authority or presuppositions, shouldn't we start from a neutral place and base our conclusions on the evidence? Many of those people would actually claim that they don't have a worldview. They basically yeah. are right. neutral. They have evidence, and right. basically their view of the world is based on the evidence. Oh, is this a problem? The problem is... There's no such thing as neutral ground. That's right. As soon as you step off the Bible as your foundation, you haven't gone onto neutral ground. You've gone onto the enemy's territory. Enemy? Are there enemies in science? So yeah. you have actually conceded the argument. The whole point is our declaration that God's word is true. And as soon as you step off that, you've conceded that maybe God's word isn't true because we don't need it to make the argument. How can you possibly be confident that the Bible is true if you systematically avoid even considering the idea that it's not true? The scientific method spends most of its time attempting to falsify hypotheses. Only when an idea has withstood the most rigorous opposition should it be given confidence. A sheltered idea is useless. Is there anything you couldn't justify with presupposition? If I presuppose that my mother is the greatest cook in the world and subsequently refuse to ever try any food made by any other chef, how seriously should anyone take my claim? They wouldn't, and they shouldn't. Though my mom is an excellent cook. Thanks, Mom. The reason Eric tries so hard to paint scientists as having pre-existing bias is that he knows that his brand of presuppositionalism is horribly flawed. He now advertises these logical flaws in an attempt to normalize them. His argument isn't that his method is right, it's that everyone else's method is just as bad as his. Is it wrong to have some assumptions? Of course not. You've got to have assumptions. Uh, Euclid had a number of assumptions that he called axioms in developing the whole system of geometry. I remember at school in math lessons, or maths lessons as we call them in England. <laughs> you call them uh, maths, you had, plural? Yes. And we had a, a whole series of proofs that you had to do, one line at a time. This proves this, proves this, proves this, proves this. But where do you start from? Uh, you might have started from saying that two parallel lines will never meet. How do you know that? Because Euclid says so. <laughs> and there was no actual mathematical proof for that. You've got to start with some basic assumptions. Now, clearly, two parallel lines will never meet. But so why? Did you seriously ask, but why? That's the example you went with? 
you're a maths teacher and you want to know why two parallel lines never meet? Why does a square have four equal length sides? Why does a circle have a uniform radius? Because these are descriptive definitions. These are not assumptions. These are agreed upon usages. Whenever we see a rectangle with four equal length sides, boom, we're going to call that a square. Could we have called it a shumagu instead? Sure. Why do parallel lines never meet? Geometry does not care. Geometry simply has a definition for when lines don't meet. If they want to meet up later, that's fine. They're two consenting lines and they can do what they want. We just don't call them parallel. Why can't we have a square circle? Because such a shape would no longer meet either definition. What do you call a presupposition again, Eric? Presupposition just means what you believe before you look at the information. Before I even look at this, what do I already believe before I see the evidence? This is simply not the same thing as the kind of agreement to precise definitions and logical constructs that happen in science and math. Calling two lines that never meet parallel isn't a belief, it's agreeing to use words in a common way. This is nothing at all like coming to a problem with a preconceived conclusion that one refuses to let go of. To imply that these are the same thing is rather disingenuous. Speaking of agreeing to use words in a common way, can we talk a little bit about the use of the word faith? There is a, a difference in the way that different people use the word faith. There is. Faith is one of those unfortunate English words that has multiple usages. If discussing it, the parties have to be careful to stick to just one definition. Uh, Richard Dawkins says that faith means uh, accepting something in the absence of evidence, even in the teeth of evidence. Mark Twain said, believing what, faith is believing what you know ain't so. That's a surprisingly fair representation of those men's opinions. Not very nuanced, but... If you be believe in something by faith and not by evidence, well then, you're in a fantasy world of imagination. I don't know if I'd go that far, but I hope this channel will help people think about why they believe what they believe. I think it's important to have good reasons. Anybody who believes something by faith... Uh, is, is just is an idiot, basically. Um, why don't we just focus on your definition of faith instead? We got the famous faith passage, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Break that down for it's, us. It's fascinating because what this verse is saying is that faith is two things. Faith is substance and faith is the evidence. I notice you're using the King James version of that verse there, which is fine. I know that's Eric Stad's favorite translation. He doggedly rejects the last 500 years of biblical scholarship for some reason. But I think you guys like it because it actually incorporates the word evidence, which is the topic at hand. But most modern translations of Hebrews 11.1 use words like confidence, conviction, and assurance, not evidence. Now those words speak much more about how you feel about a claim than the actual truth of the claim. Those are just words describing personal certainty. So biblical faith is essentially what makes you feel good about what you believe. We don't need to try to prove this to them. Faith is the evidence. It literally is the evidence. That's a pretty bold and potentially dangerous life philosophy to make that you're hanging on a 500-year-old English translation of something originally written in Greek. But let's just take this at face value for a minute. Let's say that faith actually counts as evidence. In that case, is there any idea in the world you couldn't justify using faith? UFOs? Islam? Scientology? Those are all adamantly held positions that use the same faith defense. Could the faith is evidence point be used by the evolutionist or any other worldview that their faith in their worldview is the evidence of their worldview? That's right. You accuse scientists of operating by faith too. 
But if we accept that faith is evidence, and people can have equally confident faith in contradicting ideas, how can we determine that the Christian faith is correct? Let's see how you answer. So it's very, very hard proof, uh, and, uh, and that is the correct way of looking at true biblical faith. But you see, any other sort of faith, faith in the theory of evolution, cannot be that substantial because it's, uh, it's believing in something that isn't true. We're not talking about a shopping list of beliefs, mm. and it's very important we understand that. We're talking about the difference between truth and mythology. What? You're saying that faith that the Bible is true is valid because it's true. Faith in anything else is not valid because it's not true? And the reason you know it's true is because of the faith that it's true? That didn't even attempt to answer your viewer's very valid question. That's pretty much the definition of the special pleading logical fallacy. Without any justification, you've created a single exception just for the Bible that you don't accept for anything else. Is that an intellectually honest way to determine truth? We're talking about the difference between truth and mythology. On that, we do agree. Faith does not require evidence. We don't need evidence in order to have our faith. It seems like you're holding back, Eric. Is there something that you want to say? People are going to be willingly ignorant of the creation and the flood and the coming judgment of God. They're, they're, they don't want to believe this. And the reason they don't want to believe it is because of their sin. That's right. They suppress the truth in unrighteousness. It is not because of their intellect. It is because of their emotions. They don't want to believe in God. Their reason, by and large, if you pin them to the wall, is they don't want a God who created, who therefore exactly. has the right to judge. That's what it really comes down to. They don't want to be convinced. They don't want anything because the Bible says they desire their own sin. They, they walk after their own lusts. Now, I can completely understand the appeal of taking a presuppositional stance when discussing theology internally among believers. If I'm engaged in discussion about whether Wolverine could be Batman in a fight, I certainly don't want to be interrupted by that jerk who keeps pointing out that they're fictional characters. I get it. And if you want to be openly proud that you hold your opinions with a lack of or in spite of evidence, I can applaud you for being bold and honest enough to admit that and stick to it. What I can't be okay with is the transparent projection that anyone who disagrees with your particular beliefs about origins and life are intellectually dishonest. That generations of thousands of astronomers, geologists, paleontologists, biologists, archaeologists, and others around the globe have invested the blood, sweat, and tears of their entire lives to ideas they know to be false merely so that they could help some promiscuous college students sleep a little more soundly is beyond ridiculous. It is insulting as anything I can think of. But let's set your ad hominem attack aside. You're essentially avoiding addressing the ideas by instead attacking the motivation of the people making them. And grant the idea that anyone who accepts the universe that is billions of years old and evolution is the reason for diversity of life has done so only with the motivation to reject God and live in sin. How do we explain the conclusions of Ken Miller, a devout God-believing Catholic who is known for his testimony against intelligent design in the Kissmiller vs. Dover trial? Or Francis Collins, a leader in the Human Genome Project and theistic evolutionist who teaches that God set evolution in motion? Or Hugh Ross, who invested his life into the reasons to believe in Biologus Ministries, which focus on harmonizing the Bible and science. Or Pat Robertson, chair of the Christian Broadcasting Network. What about Pope Francis, who declared evolution to be true? Or millions and millions of Catholics who agree? Do all these people reject a 6,000-year-old earth because they want to reject God? The same God they profess? Do they accept this science because they want their Christian followers to take up a life of sin? I'm sure you disagree with their conclusion, Eric, but do you insist that they were motivated by sin and rebellion? Or did these people take an intellectually honest look at the science and evidence and come to a conclusion based on that research? 
then, with their presupposition that God is real, find a way to harmonize science fact with religious conviction. Isn't that the honest approach? I understand that the Creation Today ministry isn't even attempting to reach non-Christians, only affirm and reassure those who already believe, to defend themselves from dangerous outside ideas. And you've clearly communicated why you no longer attempt to use evidence to defend six-day creation and global flood positions. Because soon as we leave God's Word, we have lost the debate, haven't we? We have. So to my followers and yours, Eric, I guess I would just ask, do you care about what's true? Do you care if your beliefs correspond to reality? If what you believe is true, how could it have anything to fear from examining evidence? Are you being intellectually honest with yourself if you approach any subject assuming you have an unquestionably correct answer before the question is even asked? In future videos, I plan to explore more specific claims from the Creation Today episodes. If you'd like to take that journey with me, please subscribe to the Apologia channel. Why not take a moment to rate this video? And more importantly, please let me know what you think about the topics discussed in the comment section below. I genuinely love to hear your thoughts. <laughs>